Micah 5, verses 1 through to verse 6. Six sentences. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Epaphrah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origin, origins, <laughs> origins, origins are later, are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. When the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses, we will raise against them seven shepherds, even eight commanders, who will rule the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod with drawn sword. He will deliver us from the Assyrians when they invade our land and march across our borders. Here's uh, 10 minutes, really a meditation on this passage. And there's just two strange things that happen in that passage that uh, I want to tell you about. This passage is written 700 years before the first Christmas, boys and girls. And yet Matthew, who's writing 20 years or so after the first Christmas, he says, I know who that king is. The king that uh, Micah looks forward to 700 years, this ruler... Matthew cut and pastes those sentences, or some of them, and says, that king that Micah was waiting for, I met him, I saw him, and his name is Jesus. I just want to think about that theme for 10 minutes or so. One way to summarize it would be, Matthew sees the one who Micah points to and says, he's the once and he's the future king. He's the once and he's the future king. In uh, Micah, Micah in verse 2 uses this phrase. He says, this ruler, he's, uh, he's coming forth. His origins are from of old, from ancient times. So Micah, 700 years before Jesus, he's not looking forward in a way. He's looking backwards. And that is strange. He's saying the king who's going to come in the future, actually he's from the past. His origins are... They're from ancient times. And you think, uh, Micah, have you got a screw loose? Have you got your, uh, your tenses the wrong way around? Do you need to go back to literacy? No. Micah is describing one who is from of old, and yet he hasn't yet come to earth. And the only way you can put those two things together is if that person is the one that Matthew knows it is as if that person is Jesus Christ. The Bible describes Jesus as eternal. He's the forever ruler, the forever king. He didn't have an origin. He didn't have a beginning. He didn't even have an orange, as I read it. He's been forever. He's been eternal. And Micah says, that ruler is going to come into our mess and he's going to reign forever like he always has, and you're going to see it. It's a bit like the films we love. You know this film in the middle? Have you seen this film? No, if not, it's this afternoon's watching. All the modern stuff is rubbish. You can quote me on that. But hey, hang on. 
Hang on, what's, what's going on? Can't get the staff. When it comes to Robin Hood, you know the great story of Robin Hood, whether it's in Disney or whether it's man wearing tights, it's the only time when it's appropriate for men to wear tights, is when they're doing Robin Hood. In Robin Hood, you know the story, there is a king, but the good king has gone. And so Robin Hood says, right, I'm going to bring justice and rule, and I'm going to... I'm going to just keep working really hard and take from the rich and give to the poor until the good king comes back. That's the story of Robin Hood. Sorry if you haven't seen it. I've just ruined it for you. But that's the, we would love for the good king to return. Here's another one. I wonder what it can be. Spoiler alert. The Lord of the Rings. This is for you if you're a teenager, if you're an adult. Ten years ago, there were three films that came out and they were great. And Tolkien, in his third book, haven't read that, I've seen the film. In the third film, in the third book, it's a, it's a riff on this theme again that says the king is going to come back and he's going to reign and it's going to be great and wonderful. And then there's this third one as well, which is King Arthur. Now, the legend of King Arthur is quite interesting. It might be complete baloney. It might be true. Depends on who you read. But on the gravestone that is attributed to King Arthur, it says this. Here lies Arthur, the once and the future king. He's the once and he's the future king. And that's what Micah was writing 700 years before Jesus came. These stories that we love, regardless of our age, they have great power to entertain us. They, they've earned the writers and the producers and the directors millions of pounds, let alone the merchandise. But do you know what? These stories have a power to move us, not because they're just great entertainment, because they do speak to this deep longing in our hearts. There's a depth to these films that make them uh, transcend generations and time. That's why they get remade so often. Because these stories tell us of a king that uh, we long for, a king that we need, a desire that we have for there to be justice and peace and rule, for there to be order, we long for that. And these stories throughout the generations show us a depth to our world. There's a depth to reality. Sometimes there's a theme in these films of uh, the supernatural, especially Lord of the Rings. That's as far as I can go with sci-fi before I get uh, kind of get the... I was going to say something that we say in our family, but I won't say that. Before my knees start to knock. I don't like it. But uh, Lord of the Rings is great. It's a fantasy. And uh, these stories show a depth to our human existence and a, a reality. It also shows us that there's more to life in the material realm. The themes of courage come out in these films, and we long for a hero, and very often, very often the hero dies in these films. It's uh, this theme of uh, a ruler and justice and peace, the return of a king and sacrificial love. These three stories and many others. Kids, you can write down your favorite one on your sheet. There's something that resonates with our hearts. And I tell you why, because they tell the story of the Bible in a very short-handed way. The story of the Bible is that the world is under an evil spell. It looks like uh, evil is going to win. And so God, the ruler of the world, sends a hero. And he comes to do battle with uh, the forces of evil and injustice. He uh, puts to death social ills and political uh, spheres are brought to naught. And just at the greatest moment when it looks like he, it looks like he's lost, actually he's winning. It's the story of Easter when he dies on the cross for the sins of the world. 
He's bringing hope and justice and he's going to bring a new power to renew people's hearts and minds and lives. And ultimately he's pointing forward to say, I'm going to renew the whole world. And my death and resurrection proves that. And when you read the story of Jesus in the Bible, the temptation is to think, well, actually, just like one of these stories, it's moving. It's wonderful. But it's not true. But the claim of Christianity is that it is true and it's historical. It's not just a lovely story. It's historical. It's real. It's earthy. And it's well worth looking at. In the Bible, you see the themes of victory and justice and sacrificial love seen on the cross of Jesus. This is the king that all the other kings point to. This is the hero that we long for. And he wins the greatest victory of all by dying. He's the ancient king. He's also the future king. He's the future king. Click. There we go. This uh, story of Micah, it's written 700 years before Jesus. And the context is that there's a great struggle politically, socially. Israel are under the heel of the Assyrians and the Babylonians through history. And they're going to get crashed, crushed. If you read the first sentence of Micah 5, it's not very hope-filled. It's talking about get yourself ready. You're going to be under siege. It's going to be hard. Your uh, fortifications are going to be smashed down. They're going to bring in their JCBs and their uh, Exocet missiles and their air-to-surface missiles as well. And you're going to get crushed. That's what Micah 5 is saying. And then verse 2, Micah says, but don't worry, there's hope. There's going to be a ruler who's going to come. He's the ancient king, but he's also the future king. And he's going to be born in Bethlehem. You can't miss him. And this is what he's going to do. Look at sentence three and four, if you've got your Bibles open. The rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Verse four says, and they shall dwell securely for now, for he shall be great to the ends of the earth. What's this, uh, this ruler who's going to come? The Micah says he's the ancient king, but he's the future king. What's this king going to do? He's going to bring peace. He's going to bring justice. He's going to make this family, not just from Israel, it's not just a political story. This is bringing in nations. This is making a massive, as it's been called somewhere else, a massive forever family. Now, how is he going to do that? He's just a king. Yes, but he's not A. He's the king. He's the true king. He's the king who made you and created you. And the Bible says he's the king that you were created for. Not to live away from his rule, but to live under it. That's where there's happiness and joy. And I just want to think for a minute is how do you do that? How do you make the ancient king and the future king your king? Here's one. Verse 4 says, and infers, you need to willingly submit to his care. In sentence four, it says, he will stand and shepherd his flock. Now, boys and girls, have you seen Shaun the Sheep, the film? No? There's a lot of adults who have. It's a great film. I think it was on yesterday. I haven't watched it yet again. I've got it on the, uh, on the box. I'll watch it at some point. I think it's true. Shaun is a bit of a mischief maker, isn't he? He's a great character. But if you've ever listened to sheep, as I've done, you never hear them kind of uh, bartering or haggling. Uh, they do a lot of bleating, but they don't really haggle with the shepherd. The shepherd is in charge, right? What the shepherd says goes. And if the sheep don't like it, well, they can find another pen if the shepherd says so. But the shepherd is there to rule with his kindness of his strength, with the lovingness of his oversight. That's what the king does. 
And Jesus picks up this theme and says, I am the good shepherd. There is freedom and life and joy and peace when you live under my care. That's what Jesus says when he comes in John's Gospel. I'm laying down my life for you. You don't just have to see my rule as strength and authority and power. We most see Jesus' power when we see the extent of his love. That's the good news of the Gospel. And if you wanted to make this ancient king and the future king your king, that's where it begins. Not by seeing his strength and his might and his power. You can be a religious person and know the God of the Bible, but not know his love. That's where, that's where making him our king begins, when you see the strength and the extent of the love of Jesus. Here's the second thing. When you see the extent of his love, you need to listen to his voice. And that means obeying his word. When you see who the king is, the ancient king, the future king, you make him your king when you stop haggling. I love haggling, I love bartering. The first present I gave my wife last night, because we couldn't wait, was from a charity shop. I got it for three quid. It's an old cookery book. There's no hints or implications uh, intended by me buying her a cookery book. But, but you know what? One of the signs that you have become a Christian is when you stop bartering with God. You know what that's like? I'll become a Christian if. I'll become a Christian when. If you give this to me, if you make that go away, then I'll become a Christian. One of the signs you become a Christian is you stop bartering with God because he's the king and you are not. Here's the last two. When you see who Jesus really is, the ancient king and the future king, he was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, worrying starts to get smaller in your life. You know worry, if you kind of boil it down like a really strong gravy that you can cut with a knife? Worrying in its heart, is the fact that you like control and you think that God is not good. That's the experience of everyone. But one of the signs that you've become a Christian is that you say this, you're the ancient king and you're the future king. I want to stop worrying because I know who you are, how big you are, how great you are. And I'm going to put my life in your hands because you know better than me because you're the ancient king and you're the future king. I can't see everything, but you can. And when that happens, you stop worrying. And when you put your life in God's safe and loving care, you can start expecting that there are great things ahead when you start to serve him. That's what Christmas is about. You think that's too wonderful. Well, do you remember the story of Gabriel when he came to Mary? And you think, oh yeah? Do you really think I can stop worrying and start expecting? Yeah, you can. Because Gabriel came to Mary and said, you're going to be with child. And Mary said, yeah, right. I'm a virgin, how am I going to conceive? How are these things going to be? And Gabriel said, you're talking about God here, and with God nothing is impossible. That's what Micah heard 700 years before the birth of the ancient king who's the future king. And he can be your king when you stop doubting and start believing and start trusting. 